Just before we begin, uh, there's going to be nothing on the screen behind me, and I could blame it on the technology that we're having technological problems, but that'd be a lie. I didn't give them any slides for my sermon. I, I slacked off this week, and I know, I know. I was going to disappoint you eventually, so it might be right. May as well be right at the beginning. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that some of you brought your Bibles. Um, you shouldn't feel guilty if you didn't, but shame on you. Um, but if you did, um, bring them. And if you see someone, if you don't have one, but you see someone opening up one right beside you, then snuggle up um, and just uh, grab one. I don't know if, are there Bibles at the back? I'm Wonderful. Uh, if, you, if you would like a Bible, there's some on the back table. I'm sure um, you're welcome to go back or the ushers can grab one for you. Just wander back or wave or something like that and we can get you a Bible. But um, it would be great for you to be able to follow along on some things. Um, and I know that preachers are supposed to say this every time they get up, um, but I think, I believe strongly, particularly as we were worshiping this morning, I believe God has something to, specific to say to us this morning. And again, I know I'm supposed to say that every Sunday, but quite frankly, there are some Sundays that I get up to preach and I just... Just not feeling it. Um, but this Sunday, I really sensed that God has something to speak into my heart. Uh, and as I reviewed my notes, even this morning, God was speaking something into my heart. And I believe he wants to, to, to uh, break something open before us. And um, so let's come anticipating hearing from him this morning, no matter what our journeys are, no matter what we bring with us as far as our uh, lives this morning. Uh, let's believe that God has something, something for us. It's Father's Day. I know we just talked about that. It's a day to celebrate fathers. And I, I love the way Lincoln prayed this morning um, as we came to our Heavenly Father and said, Happy Father's Day. Let's take a moment um, to pray to our Heavenly Father as we come. And again, Happy Father's Day, Heavenly Father. It says in your word, Lord, in Romans chapter 8, that we have the privilege of calling you daddy, Abba Father, that we have the spirit of daughtership and sonship. And so we can come close and we, we can call you Abba, Father, Daddy. And so our Father, we pray that you would speak into our lives this morning. Thanks for your word. Thanks that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thanks, thank you that it cuts to the very heart of who we are and can speak into even uh, the darkest and most troubling parts of our lives. We pray that you would speak to us, Father, as we come to you on this Father's Day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is not going to be a full-blown Father's Day sermon. Uh, so if you came, Father's, expecting, you know, to be, you know, give me a Father's Day sermon that will last me for the whole year, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. Um, but there's a lot that, uh, that I think we can glean simply from that position of, of being a father and being a parent. Um, I was thinking about it as I was preparing this week, um, what it really actually means to be a father. Like if you were to boil it down, um, what I would like for it to mean, um, when, it, when I just get to right down to what's, what's the job of me, what's my job as a father? Well, it's a tough job, it's a complex job, but if I was to boil it right down and um, get down to the heart of the matter, I would say that the job of a parent, and since we're on Father's Day, uh, I'll be particular, the job of a father involves two things. You want to boil it down? Here it is. You know, when I think about me, I want to I do two things. I want to love my kids, 
and I want to teach my kids. I want to love my kids no matter what. And I want to teach my kids no matter what. That's the two things I want to continually get better at as a father. Loving my kids and teaching my kids no matter what. In order for uh, our kids, for my kids and your kids to grow and to develop properly, in order for my kids to mature into what I hope will eventually be upstanding citizens, they need me to do two things and to do two things well, to love them and to teach them no matter what. They need me to lovingly care for them and to teach them, to hold them accountable as they grow up. A while back, it dawned on me that that's not just what our kids need, that's what we all need, right? I mean, in order for all of us to, to grow up and to develop as people, and more particularly as followers of Jesus, we need at least one other person on this planet who will do those two things for us. In order for us to grow and mature, we need at least one other person on the planet who will love us no matter what, and who will hold us accountable no matter what. That's what we need. That's when growth really happens. Both are vital for growth and maturity as human beings and as followers of Jesus. In fact, when you think about it in Scripture, the one another's of Scripture, where it says love one another, serve one another, admonish one another, that's what those are all about. It's about loving each other and holding each other accountable. It's about spurring one another on. It's about speaking the truth in love to one another, holding one another accountable. But there's a problem, as there quite often is, and here's the problem. We're imperfect people. I'm an imperfect father trying to love my kids and and hold them accountable and teach them. I, I, I do that imperfectly. We're imperfect fathers. We're imperfect mothers. We're imperfect people. We don't love perfectly. We don't even hold one another accountable and teach one another perfectly. Our love is often selfish and fickle and conditional. We don't always choose to hold one another accountable. We're afraid of what someone might say, so we we hold back. And at at best, I would say, when we we don't love perfectly and, and don't hold one another accountable perfectly, at best, that leaves us stunted in our growth particularly as followers of Jesus. We're stunted, but that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario uh, is that it leaves us wounded, struggling to cope with life. So here's the key. Because we're imperfect in our love and in holding one another accountable as fathers, mothers, and so on, because of that, we need to regularly hear from the perfect Father. We need to be open to the voice of God, Abba Father, in our lives. We need to be tuned in to regularly hear from Him and to have Him as our ultimate source of love and our ultimate source of accountability, to let God speak words regularly into our lives of love and accountability. If you and I want to grow and be spirit, become more and more spiritually mature, we need to hear from God regularly. We need to hear words of love, and we need to hear words of accountability from our Heavenly Father. Since we get neither perfectly from any of our earthly fathers or friends, mothers, we need to hear from God regularly. Speak those things to us. 
That's not new and novel. That's, that's nothing new in what I'm saying to you uh, here. This has been the case for Christians for a couple of thousand years. It was true for the early church in the first century A.D. It was true in particular for the church in Corinth. The church in, in, in Corinth, it's a, a, a city, um, and it was, there was a group of believers that were gradually developing there. It was a group of new believers that were springing up in the first century uh, A.D., and it was a group just, just like you and me, just like this group here, like us in many ways, that the, the church in first century Corinth was seeking to follow Jesus, to swim upstream, as it were, in a culture that was very much like ours. The people of Corinth, you see, had a reputation that preceded them. Now, that can go one of two ways. We know a lot of people in our lives where their reputation precedes them, either positively or negatively. For the people of Corinth, it was negative. Their reputation preceded them in all the wrong ways. They were infamous in the region for all the wrong reasons. They were, the people of Corinth in general, the city of Corinth, was an unruly, hard-drinking bunch of people. The city of Corinth was infamous for vulgar materialism, for sexual promiscuity, Sound familiar? It's very much like our culture. That's what they were known for. That was the culture in Corinth. And it's into this setting that the Apostle Paul comes uh, to Corinth around A.D. 50, 51, somewhere in there, and he comes with this new message of Jesus. You can read all about it in Acts 18 if you want. Um, And as Paul comes with this new message, many of these, these hardcore people came to trust in Jesus as Lord. They, they placed their trust in this new gospel message that Paul had brought them, that there was a God out there who came near to them and, and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for their sin. And so they, they placed their trust in Christ, and they became Christ followers. And slowly this new little church starts to develop in rotten old Corinth. And all these new little Christians as you can probably relate to, as soon as they believed in Jesus, bang, they were perfect. They had no more flaws. Everything just fell off them, and they were just, they were perfect. Poof, flawless, right? (laughs) Isn't that how it works for us? No, of course not. What happened when they came to faith in Jesus? They brought all their bad habits with them. All their rough edges came into the church as part of this new fellowship, into this newfound faith. You got all this motley crew of foul-mouthed, you know, loose, all sorts of strange. They brought it all. But there was a faith in Jesus Christ. And so they began this process, the slow, gradual process of learning and discovering what it means to be a follower of God. And Paul comes in AD 51, and he spends a year and a half with them at first, teaching, training, mentoring them, discipling them, showing them what it means to to live out this newfound faith in real and relevant ways in their daily lives. After a year and a half, he moves away. He moves on. But as as a good pastor, he, he keeps tabs on how things are going in the new church in Corinth. And he's he's getting regular updates and 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 he hears that there are certain things that aren't going so well in the new fellowship. 
In fact, the church sends them a letter and says, hell, we got some problems. We need help with certain things. And they realized that following God was a hard thing. It was like rolling a rock uphill, and they were struggling with a number of things. And so Paul sits down and sends them an email. Well, no, he can't do that. So he pens a a letter, two letters to them, in fact. What we now know in the Bible is 1 and 2 Corinthians uh, he didn't call them that, but it was just two, two letters to this new church in Corinth. And in those two letters, he addresses some of the issues that have come up for this new church. I want to read for us in just a moment um, the very beginning of the first letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. He, he, he kicks off this whole thing, two letters. He kicks the whole thing off at the very beginning by speaking to them about the two needs that I've just talked to you about, that we all have. He speaks to them about love, and he speaks to them about accountability. When I was thinking about this, it was hard for me to keep my head wrapped around that, so I I changed the words a little bit. Instead of talking about, you know, he he talked about love, and he talked about accountability uh, as the two needs, um, he, he comes to them with two things. He comes to them with the hug, and he comes to them with the thing. Now, I know it's a sunny day out, and you're probably dreaming about what you're going to do this afternoon, so I want to help you try and focus. This is action time. It's like, it's like preschool all over again. We're going to have actions this morning. If you don't participate, you'll be publicly shamed, so um, you might want to think about that. And no hot dogs for you next week at the barbecue. Um, but here, here's the action. He talks to them about the hug. It's very simple. Just hug yourself. Fortunately for some of you, it's very close to this. So you're good. You're good. <laughs> and some of you thought, oh, I never thought of that. That's perfect. The hug. And he talks to them about the thing. That's the action. The thing. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Every, I'm going to use those words frequently. You don't have to do the action every time I say the words, because that could get really annoying. But there will be times where I'll say, this is the hug, and you can mimic me, like right now. There you go. (laughs) And there'll be times I'll say, this is the thing, and you can mimic me, like right now. Excellent. Way to go. The hug and the thing. That's what we wanted to look at this morning. First thing is the hug. The hug. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, first nine verses. If you have a Bible, you can snuggle up to someone and follow along. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. The hug. The hug. 
This part of the first letter, um, remember there were two letters, just the, first, the, the introduction of the first one. This is, this is known as the salutation. Uh, it's, it's a word that we don't use all that much, but we, I think most of us would understand what that means. It's the salutation. It's, it's the greeting. It's kind of the, the kickoff to the letter. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the way that we, the way that we communicate one another, with one another, particularly the, with how we greet one another, our salutations have changed over the years. A long time ago, we would communicate primarily by letter if we were trying to communicate with someone far away, and we would sit down, and in our letter, just like Paul sat down to pen a letter, in our letter there would be a, a salutation at the beginning. You don't just jump right into the details. There's a moment where you greet, where you, where you um, say hello, as it were, and, and so our, that's changed over the years. A long time ago, in a letter, the salutation would probably sound something like this. You know, dear so-and-so, earnest and sincere greetings are extended to you and yours, or something like that. I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't do that much anymore. When we send out a letter, and, and, and I know there are still letter writers among us, um, God bless you, but a, a lot of our long-distance communication now is by what? By email. So do you start out your email, earnest and sincere greetings are extended to you and yours? No. What's your salutation in the email normally? hi, or my favorite, hey, or what's up? I mean, it, but it's still a salutation, right? It's, it's still, it's still a, a sort of a reaching out. And Paul begins with a salutation, and his salutation, this is where the hug is. This is where the warm embrace comes. You get a very clear sense very quickly in his salutation to these people that he loved them a lot, and he cared for them a lot. And it becomes very clear in these first nine verses that the first thing Paul wants to do is give them a hug. Because he loves them and he cares for them. But get this, it's not just his hug. He is filling a very, very important role. He is, in these verses, not just extending his own hug to them. He is extending God's hug to them. The important role that Paul is filling here is the hug transmitter. Have you ever been a hug transmitter? When you're talking to someone maybe long distance on, on the phone and they're talking about your family members and they say, well, give, give her a hug for me. How many times have I said, oh, okay, and I never transmit the hug? It's shameful, I understand. But, but the hug transmitter is a very important job. Will you, I, I can't be there, but you're there and I love them, so can you please give them a hug for me? In many ways, that's what Paul's doing in this, in this greeting, this salutation. He's saying, let me give you a hug, folks, because I love you. But also, and even more importantly, your heavenly Father loves you. And I'm the hug transmitter. The hug from God involved a number of things. It involved affirming them. Verse 2, he says to them, you folks, you believers in Corinth, you are sanctified in Jesus Christ. He uses those words in verse 2. He's affirming them there. He is giving them part of God's embrace and saying, you, do you know what? Do you know who you are? You are sanctified in Jesus Christ. In the message um, version of Scripture, it's put this way, you are cleaned up by Jesus and set apart for a God-filled life sanctified. That's one of those big theological words that means 
cleaned up, called holy. But notice something here. He, it, in verse 2 it says, you, you, have, you, you are sanctified in Jesus Christ. In other words, it's, it's speaking as if it's a done deal in the tense that it's given there. Sanctified in Jesus Christ. Done. No, no, stop and think about that for a second. Who's he speaking to? Remember? He's speaking to the, the wild and wicked people of Corinth. They were infamous in the region for like everything that you would consider unholy. They did it. And here's the Apostle Paul stepping in saying, oh, by the way, I got a hug for you from your Heavenly Father. And part of that hug is you're sanctified in Jesus Christ. You are made holy. You're cleaned up. God declares that you are righteous. Get this. Oh, this is so important for us. God, people of Corinth and followers of Jesus, God declares you as righteous through your faith in Jesus Christ before you are actually righteous in practice. Do you hear that? That is so critical. Theologians use the big fancy phrase, positional sanctification. If you want to impress somebody or really scare them, just use that in casual conversation. Positionally sanctified. It sounds really you know, out there. How does that affect my daily life? Wow, does it ever. Through faith in Jesus Christ, when we come and say, God, i got a sin problem, and I can't earn my way out of it. Only you can save me. You have come, and you have paid the death penalty for my sin, and I place my trust in what you have done on my behalf. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ like that, like these people in Corinth did, Scripture teaches we are sanctified, made holy, declared holy, done. You have been declared holy. When God looks at you now, he looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus himself. That's part of the hug for those of us who walk in faith in Jesus. He declares, God declares them righteous. He declares them his holy possession. And, and, the, and Paul's passion, as you read through all of these letters in, in Corinthians, his passion is that he would move these newfound believers, this motley crew are still bringing dragon in their old habits. He's, he's trying to move them from positional sanctification and letting them begin to experience that sanctifying work of God in their lives practically, moving from positionally sanctified to actually experiencing um, God's holiness in their daily lives. That's the practical sanctification. The best way I can make sense in my head is when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our old sin-stained clothes are removed, and we are given new clothes, white, pure, and spotless clothes. We, we, we take on the, these new clothes, and God looks at us and says, see, the righteousness of my son. Nah, let me give you a hug, you knucklehead. That's what, like, just, you are beautiful. I've given you the righteousness of Jesus, but the clothes are big. They're baggy. We haven't quite grown into them yet. And then the Holy Spirit spends the rest of our lives gradually helping us to grow into our sanctification, to, into our declared state, but, but practically living that out in our daily life and allowing His Spirit to change and transform us and help us to grow into these clothes as we mature. 
but we've already been... The Scripture's got this strange combination of you have been made holy, past tense, you've got the clothes, and you at the same time, day in and day out, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are being made holy. It's this wonderful mix. You've been declared holy positionally. You don't have to do anything to earn that. Faith in Jesus, we take on the righteousness of Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. And then gradually, just like the people of Corinth, we begin to grow into those clothes, being made holy more and more in the image of Jesus, where we take on the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, all of those kinds of things. Please hear that, because this is a part of the hug that radically should change the way we live, the way we perceive our position before God. He says to them, you are sanctified in Jesus. The hug continues. He says in verse 3, grace and peace to you. In fact, we discovered in our small group um, that, that every single letter that Paul wrote that's in our New Testament begins and ends with some form of grace and peace to you. That was part of the salutation and and the conclusion of every single letter. That's part of the hug, too. He says, grace and peace to you. From who? I'm I'm, I'm transmitting the hug here. It's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. That's part of the embrace. Paul extends to them a reminder that God lavishes grace and peace on us. Grace is unmerited favor. It's us getting what we don't deserve. And Paul says, part of the hug, God's grace to you. What you don't deserve, he's giving to you. Peace to you. That, that word shalom, we think it's, you know, it's more than just peace, hey, peace. It, it's in, in the original sense of the word, it's, it's settledness at the core of your being. That's the shalom. That's, that's that, sen- that, that biblical sense. Settledness at the core of your being. That's part of the hug. Paul says, hey, you know, from, from God, grace and peace to you. It doesn't stop there. Verse 5, the hug continues. It says, for in him, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way. Don't just glaze over that. That word enrich is, an, is a very rich word. Enri- you've been, in Jesus, you and I, you've been enriched. You know what the picture is there? The picture is you've been made plump. That's the picture of the word. It's kind of, sort of like what you feel like after Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. I mean, beyond the feelings of nausea, but that, that feeling of, oh, I don't think I can eat, any, I can't put anything more in this. I, I am full as a bull, like nothing else goes in here. That, that, that sense of being just like plump. You've been enriched, and that, that's the sense of the word here, that in Christ Jesus, he says, you've been enriched in every way. Jesus has given you so much that you're, you're plump. In every way, you'll lack nothing. Everything you need, you have in Christ Jesus. You can put nothing more in. He's given you all that you need. You are enriched in every way, in your speaking, in all your knowledge. In every way, you are enriched. That's part of the hug. You're satisfied fully in Jesus. The hug keeps on going. Verse 9, he says, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, is faithful. 
God has called, don't miss that, God has called you into fellowship with his son. That word fellowship is, is, is the, a Greek word that means community. It means being joined together. It means, means close union, close relationship with. God has called you into fellowship, close relationship, communion, joined together with his son, Jesus Christ. That's part of the hug. Fellowship with God, intimacy, closeness. God has called you into that kind of relationship with Jesus. That's part of the hug. And then he finishes off by saying, oh, and by the way, this God, he's faithful. He's faithful. He sticks with us. The hug, give me one. The hug is reliable. It's not going to be, his love isn't fickle where it's going to change. No, no, you're in the hug, you're in the hug because God is faithful. Do, do you see that the beautiful picture? This is the hug. This is in the salutation. In the very first few verses, Paul comes and says, you know what? I want to talk to you about two things. The first one is the hug. I want to push pause there just for a second and just, just throw it out there. It is possible that that's the only reason you're here this morning, apart from the fact you got a free bottle of root beer. But it's possible that the rest of this sermon might not be for you. Please don't tune me out because I think it's for some people. But it's possible that that's all you're here for. You are here this morning for whatever reason because you simply need to hear you're in the embrace. possible. Maybe that's God's word to you this morning. You walk in faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel about yourself, no matter what is going on around you, God says, no, 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 no. You're mine. You're in the hug. But then he transitions from the hug to the thing. Come on now. There you go. You're with me. The thing. As in, as in, okay, here's the thing. Listen to verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some, of, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. And then he kind of has this recollection. Oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he moves from the embrace, the hug, and he, and he comes in now and says, oh, by the way, here's the thing. Here's the accountability part. Remember the two things that they need? We need, we need to be loved. We need to be held accountable. He's moved from the hug now. Hey, church, this is the thing that I need to address with you. In fact, he addresses a number of things in First and Second Corinthians. There's a number of things, but this thing is the first thing. 
that he addresses. You see, someone from Chloe's household um, in the church had spilled the beans to Paul, and so Paul comes and addresses uh, this issue with them. And the first thing that needs to be addressed is this. There are divisions in the church. There are cracks in the, in the unity of the church. Little cliques or cliques had developed. Some say, well, I, I'm, I'm in Paul's camp. He, he's kind of my guy. And, no, no, I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. And little, little groups had developed. Cracks in, in, in the unity, divisions in the church. And Paul comes in and says, okay, he, here's the thing. There's divisions among you. We've got to deal with this. You're not unified in heart and mind. You're going in different directions. There are a number of things to deal with, but, but this is the first thing, and it needs to be dealt with head on. There are divisions in your midst. He's speaking about the thing within the hug. But he speaks about it head on. He talks about the, the, this division. Let's be clear on what we're talking about here. He's not talking about that they have little tiffs now and again. Ah, there's little disagreements. No, no, no. It's much more serious than that. It, it's not just that Paul's saying to them, oh, you know, get along, play well in the sandbox together. No, no, it's way more serious than that. Factions had developed within the church. Lines of party loyalty had been drawn. Segregated groups. You know, I'm loyal to Paul, and I'm loyal to Apollos, and I'm loyal to Peter, and some, I'm loyal to Jesus. They were setting up and setting apart people higher than Jesus himself. Please don't miss that. The problem here was that they were setting up people and setting apart people higher than Jesus. And Paul comes in and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's the thing. That's Paul's point. Not, it's, well, okay, here's the thing. Just get along. You know, just give peace a chance, boys. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. There are idols in your midst. That's what he's saying to the early church. And it's the first thing of many things that he deals with. Within the hug, within the embrace, he says, the thing is, there's idols in your midst. An idol is someone or something that takes the place in our lives that God rightfully deserves to hold. That's an idol. When something or someone takes the place in our lives, that it's a place that God rightfully deserves to hold. When we put other things and other people in that place, that's an idol. In Exodus 20, way back in the Old Testament, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, what was the very first commandments? No other gods before me. What was the second commandment? Don't make idols. The people of Corinth, actually at this time, had literal idol worship. They had little things that they had started to set up creeping in from their past lives. They had literal idol worship, and Paul addresses that later on in chapter 10. But right here, the first thing he deals with is, is, um, is something much more subtle. It's, it's way more subtle idol worship, but it's very, very dangerous. The people in the church in Corinth were gradually shoving Jesus to the sidelines. They hadn't removed him completely. They hadn't taken a vote and said, okay, all, all in favor of getting rid of Jesus and I'll talk of Jesus. No, no, it was far more subtle than that. Just gradually, Apollos became more important than Jesus to some and Cephas became a little bit more important than Jesus to some. And gradually, Jesus was being pushed. They were, Jesus was being put into a peripheral place and it moved gradually from, I'm a follower of Jesus, to I'm a fan of Paul myself. 
or Cephas. And Paul addresses this head on and says, this is subtle idol worship and it's polluting and crippling this group of believers and it needs to be addressed. And so he deals with it head on. This is where it hits home for us because we read the Ten Commandments, uh, no idol worship, and we say, hey, no problem. I have no little statues in my house. I'm okay. No idol worship here. It's not our thing. It may have been the First Corinthians people's thing, but it was not our thing. And this passage challenges us to look a little closer. Where has something or someone usurped the place of Jesus in your life? This week, even as I prepared for this, I had some soul searching to do. Where has God gradually been moved aside in my life? Where has Jesus been demoted in my life? It even happens in church. Things like tradition can be an idol in church. Things like newness and change can be an idol in church. Nothing wrong with any of those. But when those things become more important than Jesus, we're into that subtle form of idol worship. A growing church can become an idol. Nothing wrong with a growing church. I'm all for it. It should be happening. But when numbers of bodies in the chairs becomes more important than Jesus, we've got an idol problem. Individuals in churches can become idols. And even in the absence of ours, I know he would agree, even pastors can become idols in churches. When Derwin's opinion in our lives matters more than the opinion of God, we've got an idol problem. It can happen in our own lives. Has a pastime or a cause or an organization become an idol in your life more important than Jesus? Has your job or job advancement or your education become an idol in your life? Nothing wrong with any of those. Please hear me. But when they begin to gradually take the place where Jesus should be holding, it becomes an idol. Children can become idols. Your spouse can become an idol. We should love our children and love our spouses. Please don't get me wrong. But they should never take the place of Jesus, what Jesus rightfully holds. Perfection can be an idol. The need to be right can be an idol. Our appearance can be an idol. Our intelligence can be an idol. Where has God been ousted from the number one position in my life and in yours? If you were to be honest and fill in the blank, well, if I'm honest, I follow. And Paul says, here's the thing. That can't be. It's deadly. Like Paul toward the Corinthian church, I believe God would want to get our attention on this. And he, but here's the crux of the whole message. Ready for your actions? God gives us the hug first. And within that embrace, with all that that embrace entails, in the security and the safety of that embrace, with, while you're there, God whispers, okay, now here's the thing. Within the embrace, child of God, you are loved deeply. I am thrilled about you. You are my, you are my son, my daughter. I'm your Abba father. But here's the thing. With my kids as a father, that's what I want to do. I want to love them. I want them to experience my embrace all the time, literal or figurative. 
But and, 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 and within that regular embrace, I want to be able to hold them accountable and teach them and say, okay, here's the thing. Here's what we need to deal with. Here's what, how you need to grow and mature. I invite the team forward uh, to close our service. I've asked them for this song. I hope some of you know it. Um, but one of the, the, the gists of the song is, Lord, would you give us clean hands? And would you give us pure hearts? Let us not give our soul to another. And in another place it says, Lord, we cast down our idols. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. It just dawned on me as we were singing that, you know, Derwin's just concluded a series on baggage. If you've been here for that. And it could be, I had a sense as we were singing this morning, it could be that maybe there's even just one person here this morning who God was speaking to very clearly. You're dragging some baggage. And it actually has become a bit of an idol. And you just weren't ready to put that down. And maybe, it doesn't have to be some big dramatic thing. You can be right in your seat. No one else needs to know about it. But it might be that this is the day where you say, okay, God, like I went through the whole series, but I'm ready now. I'm going to lay down the idol. What is that idol? What's the thing that God wants to touch in your life? As we sing, as as we wrestle with this thing in our lives, please hear it. It's within the embrace. It's within the hug. Your daddy, your heavenly father, is crazy about you. So much so, just like an earthly father, that within that embrace, he wants to gently address the thing in your life so that you experience all that he has created you to be and called you to be. Let's close our service with these great words.
Before I pronounce a benediction, I want to encourage you, when God whispers, respond. And I don't get a sense this morning that we're supposed to, you know, make some sort of public thing and people come forward. We do that sometimes because I think there are times when a public move is, is appropriate. But I just get a sense that God's saying to us this morning, no, this is a private moment. And so maybe, maybe God's speaking something to you. We want to go enjoy the day, but first things first. If God has spoken something into your life, just seal it. As I close in prayer this morning, I just want to seal what he's spoken to you. And as you begin to, to live that out and, and, and experience the fullness of what he's spoken to you the rest of today and tomorrow and into, the, into this week, my prayer is that God would just continue that embrace, that you'd be aware of that, and that he would continue to speak that thing about your life. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are faithful, that, that you are faithful to your word as we, as we open up your word. By your spirit, you are faithful to speak into our lives. And so I would release uh, all the words that have been sung this morning, all the words that have been prayed, all the words um, that have been spoken, all the things that we have contemplated. And as we head out to enjoy a beautiful day with friends and family, whatever is on our, on our agenda today, I pray that that first and foremost, we would have solidified in our heads and in our hearts that what you have spoken into our lives this morning. And if it's not clear what you've spoken, but, but we sense that you want to say something, would you just make that clear in the rest of this day and as we head into this week? Um, I pray that where conversations are necessary with friends here, um, where we just want to wrestle through what God's speaking to us with, with someone who can journey that with us, would you provide those people? We pray, God, that you would do what you want to do. You did what you wanted to do in the Corinthian church, and your word spread quickly, and lives were changed and transformed. Our desire is the same here. Let us walk out of this place firmly knowing our place in the hug and hearing your voice about what the thing is. As we go, listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. This is true of you, for those who place their faith in Jesus. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. You've received the spirit of daughtership. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. My friends, go from this place. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and remain on you this day, this week, and forevermore. Amen.
go in peace. We've got refreshments at the back. There'll be people up here. If you wish to pray with someone, they're always here to pray with you.